Games are something everyone likes to play. Games are something everyone likes to watch. Games are a thing that we love. Football is a game. It's a game that, look, our mental state can ride on from time to time. It's a game that we love. It's a game that we swear by, live by. And in the case of Monday night, almost someone almost died by it. Damar Hamlin with a very, very... It's it's so tough because I've had to do so many... Like, I always say tough episodes. Like, I remember having to come on after the Henry Ruggs DUI. Many, anyone died. You were on here after Mike Leach passed away a few weeks ago. Franco Harris right after that. This is just a stark reminder that at the end of the day, football is a game that we love. And we have to learn. I love it's basically you have to know that with every football game, it's human beings putting their lives on the line. It's them going out there and sacrificing their bodies for us. Big Rat, you and I are WWE fans, and we grew up in the heyday of those do not try these at home videos when they were very graphic, when it was very, we go out there for entertainment, we go out there and do that. Every sport is like that, no matter how much the contact level is. And Monday was a stark reminder. These guys are out there doing what they love and literally will be putting their lives on the line for that. Yeah, yeah, they... You know, there's a lot of thoughts that roll through when something like that happens. But one of the first ones that I've seen echoed by several players this week, because I'm sure we'll talk about what it means for the Bills and the Bengals, but very clearly it's an NFL-wide thing. Like, obviously, that's not to diminish the fact that their proximity to that game and the Bills in particular to their teammate, like the pain is going to be more acute for sure. But this kind of NFL-wide concept of they always say this cliche, we put our lives on the line. But they just say it like a lot. I've seen a few players say that in interviews today. We say that over and over again, but you never really like process what through that means because most injuries you see on a football field, players recover from. And so now you're seeing a situation where someone is in the ICU where their heart stopped on the field. And it kind of like puts that phrase, we put our lives on the line in context. It's no longer something you just say. It's actually something that carries some weight to it. So it's what makes it, hard uh for a lot of and i saw like i think particularly the eagles um who don't like the giants as well but you know brian dable played uh, was a coach for the bills the giants have some players in their roster that were on the bills last year have more of a connection to demar hamlin but even the eagles who don't have that many connections to them they were i think Devontae smith was saying like the whole locker room was just like sad like just a team completely removed from the game in that situation they feel the effects of just like what the brutality of the sport kind of means you know yeah because Here's the thing, I, I, and, I, and I always hear my mom echo these sentiments of how, like, you see these players dapping each other up after games. They're even joined in prayer circles after games because they all are very religious. But then you see fans of our teams. Like, obviously, you and I team were rivals, but you go to those games and there are fans getting fights in the stands when at the end of the day, you or I aren't making millions of dollars to do this. No, we just come on here and talk about a game we love. So that's where I feel like it put everything into perspective on Monday where you realize – for as much as we love football and as for as much as we enjoy it and love talking about it, that's the thing. Don't get it wrong, folks. We love talking about it. It doesn't affect our day-to-day lives. It does not affect it. Like what happened, I know you and I spoke literally like hours after the Patriots' bad play. I woke up Monday. I went to work. I did my usual routine. It didn't affect me. 
Do listening to the commentary suck? Sure. But you know what? It doesn't affect how I live my life. It doesn't affect the way I drive my car. It doesn't affect the way I do my job. It doesn't affect the way I do anything else. I just, you live on life as normal. That's where I feel like everything comes with, where it's that stark reminder. And also, here's the other thing, too. I was I listened to a clip. Actually, it was my fiance who sent me this from the New Heights podcast. I'm not sure if you know of that. That's the one of the Kelsey Brothers yeah. host. Yeah. They basically said to each other, what was the feeling? And it's more about not just how, obviously, him, but his parents, his mom, his aunt, like the people that were in the crowd for the game. Just basically see your kid get hit. Okay, yeah, if it's a concussion. But then the fact that they gets up and then he falls back over right away and no one has any idea what's going on. The fact that, look, I don't want to get into speculation about the whole five-minute thing. I don't want to know either side. That's just, I think someone may have said that and it was just like a miscommunication. That, that's how I stand. I don't. I honestly don't think the NFL would have done that, even though I did question their morality. But at the end of the day, you worry too about how the family is thinking about their like 24-year-old son who's literally fighting for his life on the middle of the field. It's one of those things that this has so many paramount and parallel levels to it. You just don't know how to begin to explain what they're going through. And the fact that the NFL together as a community, as a whole, you see people from all different kinds of fan bases. I've done stuff before I never thought I would do, and that's repost stuff from the Buffalo Bills on my page. They, they're we're literally supposed to be playing them this coming Sunday, and usually it's I'm not going to swear, I'm not going to swear, I'm not going to say anything. It's usually like you know f Buffalo week. It's like that rivalry week. Football seems secondary. Like you and I were going to come on, we we're going to get ready for Week 18, talk about our teams, um, and all that stuff, and even the national championship, which we can get to if we feel like if we'll see how this goes. But yeah, that's even the other thing. If you're watching on YouTube, usually by now you see the little banners running down across. We're not doing any of that today. This today is just it's it's just it doesn't feel right, you know. That's the thing too. I just want to get back to the fact that you've seen every single team, the way every single team has reacted, shows that at the end of the day, look, they go out there and they get into car crashes with each other. They can get up and shake their hand. I remember when I played high school football. Me and another guy were going at it. What did he do after the play? He dapped me up. He was just like, you know what? Hey, good job. This and that. So it just goes to show football and sports is a brotherhood. And that's really what's come out from this. That's the one thing you can really, really understand and be thankful for. And it's also the fact, too, when you look at the GoFundMe page, the top donor right now is Jim Irsay. I know the Bills can give what they want, but the fact that it's you're seeing like him, Robert Kraft, Russell Brady. Wilson, Tom Brady, Josh McDaniels, hell, even going into our other world, wrestling, Chris Jericho, who spelled his name wrong, donated $10,000. It's just showing how people care about this. And that's one thing I keep saying is, is that whenever DeMar wakes up and look, people can talk about, oh, will we play again? I, I don't care about that. Let's get him healthy. Let's make sure he wakes up. I am i can't wait for him to wake up and see. If you go on his GoFundMe and look at how much money he wanted to raise, it was $2,500. As of this recording, I have the GoFundMe page ready. That GoFundMe is at, uh, so, whoops, I get out of the top donor page. It is at six point nine million dollars right now. So it's just it's it's cool to see. It's it's I know they always say that through tragedy you get these cool things, but something like this is really really cool to see. And I've even seen some fantasy football leagues donate their winnings. A league I'm in, we're taking fifty percent of the profits basically. So from the so it was like a four hundred dollar entry pot. That's for everyone combined. We're taking two hundred dollars of that, and that's what's going to get donated. I suggest everyone else to donate. I'm probably going to donate myself on behalf of the podcast and on behalf of everyone else. So I suggest you guys too. The GoFundMe will be in the link in the bio as well. Yeah, and I, I want to raise touch on two things that you pointed out there. The first on the GoFundMe because certainly the danger and violence of football is going to be a very 
common discussion after that hit. And I think that's probably fair. But I think it should also be pointed out that when people say it's a community in the NFL, that's kind of what they mean Like with that GoFundMe. It's not just the community. It's not just like the brotherhood of NFL players where obviously even people from different teams, they want to fight for each other, defend each other. I get that. But it also means that you get, you know, $7 million raised because of how many people love this sport, appreciate the sacrifices that people make for it. Even if they don't always, even if some people on the internet don't always show that all the time in their behavior with players, that overall GoFundMe shows the appreciation that people have for that sacrifice because that thing doesn't hit 7 million. If it was like, I don't know, like some boxer in an independent boxing league, if he got hurt in a serious way and as sad as traumatic as that would be, it would not have the national profile to raise to that level. Like Joe Biden called DeMar Hamlin's parents. I don't think that would have happened if it wasn't like an incident at that level in the NFL, because the NFL is just so beloved by so many people in this country. It really is a cultural force. Like it is so involved in it's connected to politics. It's connected to money. Like it's connected to so many strong forces that it's so loved and enjoyed by so many people that the community of the NFL is so big that you get a big donation like that. And I think that was really beautiful to see. And I'm hopeful that Hamlin, when he wakes up, um, we'll get to enjoy the benefits of that, as you said. And that really speaks to the power. You know, NFL players, I've said this before to some friends here, and I know it comes off kind of corny, but when you ever wonder, like, why, like, the impact that sports can have, with Hamlin saying that, like, and I think some of his teammates from Pitt saying that a lot of kids in the Pittsburgh area looked up to him. You know, they look up to him as, like, a figure in their community. And truly, like, it sounds corny, but sports athletes are the closest thing we have to like the Avengers in terms of like these larger than life figures that everyone loves, that everyone feels inspired by, and that can lead to charitable contributions that can lead to, we have the Walter Payton man of the year award with all these different players from NFL teams that are just doing a really good job of enriching the communities around them. And that kind of philanthropic work is really, really valuable. And it's something we shouldn't take for granted because if the NFL didn't exist, that stuff wouldn't be happening. You, there would be less money, less interest going to those causes. So the fact that those players have that kind of profile, that kind of leverage to influence their communities is really, really beautiful. And not one that I think we should take for granted um, as a beautiful byproduct event of this sport that we all love. But we also got a credit, as many people have, the medical staff there. Um, I've spoken about this on the show before, but I'm in medical school now, so I'm a little partial to that, that side of the discussion. And it is true, like I'm CPR trained, but I've never had to use it in a situation like that before and I never want to. Um, and the stress and the immediacy that it takes to do something like that um, is insane because they that, that's the first thing they tell us. Like when they talk about CPR is the most important thing is to start as quick as possible, to deliver high quality CPR as quick as possible. So it's not just literally start compressing the chest. like. The compressions have to be timed accurately. The number of repetitions you do has to be timed accurately. Your technique on your hand placement has to be accurate. And in an incredibly high stressful situation, you have like 80 people around you in that setting. And a lot of those people are brothers of that player and they're crying and they're like wailing and they're trying to get more information to be able to calmly resuscitate a guy's heart in that setting with the use of a defibrillator is, is impressive. Like, and is, is not like, that's an incredible human accomplishment. I think that we should all appreciate. And maybe that's not a comment on the NFL as much as it is a comment on medicine, but still like though NFL's stadium staffs, you know, the staffs from each, the, as the 
the emergency action plan graphic that's been shared on Twitter, the doctors that each team provides, that the stadium provides, all of it, just the whole medical apparatus that led to resuscitating a 24-year-old kid's heart in a high stressful, high tense situation um, is nothing short of extraordinary feats of human accomplishment. And it's beautiful, beautiful that such a thing happened. And you just hope that they can kind of complete the job with the doctors at the UC hospital right now in the ICU. Um, all the signs look good, but obviously you don't want to overpromise anything. And that, that is also really encouraging. And the last, the last one I want to touch on before I send it back to you is that on the thing about the five minute thing with the NFL, it's like, we're so cynical as like a internet community and we constantly love the NFL for being such a greedy institution. I get it. I get it. I, and a lot of the times it is deserved, but I just think like this, like everyone always says, like preach empathy, you know, preach empathy, be, be sensitive to other people's concerns, be a human, like all that sort of things. But we don't give the NFL the benefit of the doubt on any of those concepts when it comes to the situation. Like I'm sure. And I think it was, uh, Rear, one guy said this. Like, it is possible that the refs were told five minutes by like the replay guys in New York or something, you know, or a segment of the NFL that wasn't like Goodell on a headset yelling, the game must not be stopped in any circumstances. Like, what kind of car- villainous caricature is that? Like, I think, as people have pointed out, it's an unprecedented situation. People don't really know what to do. Everyone's kind of freezing. When Ryan Shazier had a very severe spine injury, they on did, the same field. On the same field, and he, by the way, he never played again. Like that was like it, maybe maybe people didn't think his life was in danger at the moment, but people definitely thought paralysis, life, life lifetime paralysis was in danger. People definitely thought that at the time. I remember watching that game live. They played that game, and they didn't really get killed for that. They're just like this is just sports. This is what it is. So. I think that kind of being the only precedent that these people had, whether it be the refs, the replay guys in New York, maybe one NFL official just kind of instinctively, okay, like the Shazier situation, it sucks. Give everyone time, go back to it. And then yes, you don't, everything is so chaotic. It's a live NFL game. We don't stop NFL games ever. Like it's so it it probably took them more than a minute or two or five minutes or 10 minutes to really think through it and go like, Oh no, we actually don't know if this guy's going to survive. Like this is a very different dynamic the stress that it put on all the other players is different like we cannot continue this game it is understandable that they didn't immediately come to that conclusion i think if they ended up not getting to the conclusion ever and ended up playing the game and never deciding to stop it then sure then the nfl can get killed here but i really do think we have to be a little reasonable here we have to extend the slightest benefit of the doubt that it's not easy it's complicated We've played through traumatic injuries before, and it took them a second to realize this was a level above that. And they don't, I really don't like, like any, like, like I, someone on Twitter put it best. We're more mad at them for that than we are happy that they had an emergency action plan that saved this kid's life. Like, isn't that the more important of the two things? Like, I just think it's understandable that it was delayed a little bit and we shouldn't freak out about it. Just my opinion. But that, that's just the thing. We live in such a society now to where everyone finds one little thing and then they start to freak out over it. Like, they'll take it, like, way out of proportion. The only other thing, too, I want to say, because, like, the Ryan Shazier thing as well, that was Monday Night Football in Cincinnati. Um, other There's that 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 there's something about that field. Like, that's a field, too, where Antonio Brown got lit up by Vontez Perfect X amount of years ago. Do it. I don't, Do it and then two, two earlier this year, like, they still played after that and they got crucified for it. But you know what? It is what it is. I also say this. I I saw the report about the Dolphins and the way they handled the two a concussion this time around, and I applaud them for that. That Mike McDaniel recognized, hey, he doesn't seem right on the day after Christmas. 
and it is what it is. That, that's another story. But when it comes to this, you nailed everything on the head where you're like, you know what? Hey, CPR is something that like, I, I'm not CPR trained. You're obviously the more medical person than I am. You're the, you're the one in medical school. But I, I more than anything, we have to look at that. You're right. Applaud the, both the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals training staff, the stadium staff. Um, the fact that they waited for his mom to get down to get into the ambulance to be with her baby boy. Uh, the people at the University of Cincinnati's uh, Medical Center's ICU. The fact that – and also, I want to give other shout-outs to the ESPN crew that had to hold it down on Monday night and fill the air. You, And more importantly, Booger McFarland. Because he's someone that I've always kind of looked up to in a way for players and media because he's the one that always – I know he got crucified when he was in the booth a bunch. He didn't like it. I, I'll be honest. I was a fan when it was testing Booger in the booth for Monday Night Football. I enjoyed those two. But the fact that you could tell he was showing his emotions, he wasn't holding back. He wasn't being like, you know, this up and up character where it's just like this. He's basically speaking from the heart. Ryan Clark was even the same thing too. I didn't realize his injury. Um, yesterday, pro football talk. Uh, it's obviously, it's always Florio and Sims. But they went to Sims basically because I don't know if many people out there know, Sims lost a spleen because of a game back in 2006, I think it was, where he basically almost had the same thing. He almost died. Ryan Clark almost died because of an incident too. I don't remember what his was. But – you have these incidents that remind people at the end of the day, this is the NFL. It's a sport we love. And like you said, it doesn't stop for much. Look, it's the only sport that COVID did not affect at all. No stopping. That's They just kept going. But when I look at week 18, I feel like that Kansas City-Vegas game this weekend, there's going to be so much people holding their breath on that first snap. And then once everything happens, like once everything goes fine, it's like, you know, that like, moment of panic where it's like like everyone's going to be a little scared because like they don't know what to expect because it's going to be the last time we saw a football field a man lost a man almost died so it's going to be interesting to see how this weekend unfolds but i feel like you're going to see tributes league wide for him i've seen i know this is your game but i saw sauce gardener today asking people for a hamlin jersey he wants to wear during warm-ups you're going to see guys honoring him and the other people i want to give props to even though for me Look, I, I say it's tough, but that's also in a joking matter, especially in this instance. Is the people from Bill's Mafia that are going towards T. Higgins, com- uh, not comments or what he, his actions on the field, but his his um, cause. So it's my cause, my cleats was for an ALS organization, and they were people directing people in the sense to saying, "Hey, donate your money that way." Like even with when it comes to donations, how you say NFL is a community. Look at the Josh Allen when his grandmother passed away, and they donated all that money to the Children's Hospital in Buffalo. Um, when there was there's been other instances too where they'll do this the and like Andy Dalton charity that they raised a hundred thousand dollars for after the Bengals beat the Ravens to get into the playoffs in 2017. So it just goes to show how tight knit that community is because even though I'm a diehard Pats fan, I live 90 minutes from Buffalo, so I go there often. That is a city that loves its football team. That's a city that literally leave lives and breathes by its football team. And to see how they've rallied, how strong they've been, that was one of the first things too. You obviously know. Uh, there's a couple of Bills guys that come on here. Joe Miller, the one that Big Rat's most known known for, known with is Greg Thompson at Greg Cover One. When I do Monday night, I literally message them right away saying, look, I know we're rivals, but I'm just thinking about you guys right now. And they really appreciated it. So just to see basically like, you know what, put the, put the guards aside, put the rivalries aside. Because at the end of the day, you know what, this is a brotherhood. It's unity because it's a game that we all love. And at the end of the day, like I said before, it's a game. It doesn't affect our lives, but for five months, it's something that, God damn it, we live by, and I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah, no, and, like, you know, like, it's the community 
you know, like, like while we are not players and obviously it would be incredibly disingenuous to suggest that we take on any of the sacrifices that they do, obviously, like you said earlier about it being life threatening to them, you know, football is very important to a lot of us in different ways. I know for your show, we did the whole thing where we recorded clips about like what football means to us and uh, why does it matter to us, et cetera. And I remember in mine, I, I got really personal talking about how my relationship with my family, like was kind of formed through football. And I know a lot of, I like, I think for a long time in my life, I just took that for granted. Like everyone is close with their families. And then as I got older, started going to college, started meeting people from different parts of the country, I realized, Ooh, that's not the case. There's people that don't have the same relationship with their family members. And it may sound stupid, that like you use a sport to start there, but I think having a starting point matters. I think building common bonds on this thing can then predispose you to build common bonds and other activities, other hobbies, et cetera. It's a way for us to spend time together, you know, which especially now as my parents are getting older and as people are moving out of the house, I don't take for granted that we can always come home, watch a Dolphins game with my parents, et cetera. Like I, I do really, really appreciate that. So like, I think football can be really important to us in different ways that don't have the physical sacrifices or the financial uh, dependency like NFL players have, or even, you know, guys like you guys, like Greg, these guys that like produce content out of it, like definitely, like definitely like there's still something being attracted out of it other than just fun. Um, But I like, I think it's important, as you said, to just remember that, you know, you look out for, you look out for one another, you look out for the fact that, you know, all those people in Bill's mafia, like they've been following Hamlin's career. And to see someone you follow, see someone you maybe interact with on Twitter, see someone that you know has probably done a charity project at a local children's center nearby that you've been to a few times or a hospital that your grandma might stay at one time, this important figure in your community. And especially in a community like Buffalo, where football is everything, like so central, like to the heart of the that entire area and the entire like zeitgeist of Buffalo, like really runs through that team. And to see one of those guys go down in such a traumatic fashion, to see players like Josh Allen, like what really changed the tenor of that moment was when they showed Allen and the other guys with a face of sheer horror. Like that's when you really started to wonder, oh my God, did this guy die? Like, is this guy like, like getting CPR performed on him? That level, that traumatizes you, even though you're not like there to feel the pain yourself. Like that can traumatize um, a fan, a commentator, a podcaster um, that has connections to these people whether direct or indirect. And I think, like you said, looking out for those people, making sure that that trauma doesn't weigh on them, that trauma doesn't consume them, that you'll notice with anything in life, just telling someone you're there for them, just telling someone that you're thankful, like little things like that can go a long way. Cause like when someone's feeling trauma, just hearing little things like that can really like in the moment, just give them something to be happy about. And I think it's very important to do that for not just Greg, obviously, but, or Joe, as you said, Bill's Mafia as a whole, like that's that's not a that's not a fun thing to watch. And I mean, God bless, they have a game this weekend at home. Like, and like I, I like it's weird for me because like as someone who does put a lot of his uh, personal self esteem into the success of the Dolphins, they really need the Bills to win this weekend against your Patriots. And it's hard for me to like like I'm I'm trying to like as a football fan do the X's and O stuff and think about the football. But whenever you think about the Bills playing at all this weekend all you can think about is like mentally can they get through that game like mentally like are they going to be okay like should they move the game like apparently they're not apparently the nfl confirmed the game is not being moved i don't know but yeah like just mentally how do they deal with this week you know? so two things i'm going to say about this weekend's game is one it was 
Mike Reese of all people yesterday. And when he speaks for Patriots fans, you listen. He's one of those reporters. Every team has that reporter, I think, you, where there's the guy that you everyone listens to. Mike's that guy for New England and the Patriots fans. And he was on Zoe and Bedtard yesterday on 98.5 in Boston. And he was saying that, like, if he doesn't see a way that the NFL makes that game play this weekend. The last I heard was from Zach Cox of Nesson. He was basically saying that they haven't talked about it, but it's not off the table yet. The Bills did not practice today. They just did a walkthrough. They didn't, neither team spoke to the media. So I think by Friday, if the Bills haven't practiced properly, I don't think the game will play. I think if the Bills practice tomorrow, though, like, you know, if it's a normal practice day, they play. But I can still see a world where this game doesn't play. Like, I, like I've even seen Bills fans say, like, if we have to forfeit the last two games, so be it. Like, it's not like the Bills season's on the line. I'm not saying that either from a perspective of, oh, because if the Bills forfeit, my team makes the playoffs. No, that doesn't matter. My team, the way they've played this year, I honestly don't care if they miss, if they miss the playoffs at this point. I, 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 like, that's the thing. I don't, I don't care. It's either an eight and nine season or a nine and eight season. So I'm not, I'm like, they basically, they finished where I thought they finished. Basically, they're not like, they didn't disappoint. That's one thing. I can be disappointed in coaching. But the team didn't disappoint me. So I think with the Patriots game as a whole, we'll find out probably, I'd say, by tomorrow or Friday if the game's going to go on. Or if anything, maybe you bump the game till, I'd say, maybe Monday. or I, I, I want to say Monday, but I don't think so just because of the national championship. I think they're going to give that the spotlight. That's the other thing, too. Like, that's – because remember, this was – Monday wasn't just one football game. We had a day's worth of football games. We had – Let's see, there was the one bowl in Tampa. There was a bowl in Orlando. I forget the two of them. I know Citrus and I think Rely Quest, something like that. And, and you had the cotton. Pardon me? You had the Rose Bowl. Cotton the, bowl. the Cotton Bowl, the Rose Bowl, which, by the way, I still say this. That, to me, is like the WrestleMania of bowl games. I still say that. There's there's, there's, just some, there's something about Pasadena. There's just something about the scene, the grandeur, the, mad, the magistry, the pageantry, all that stuff, the magnificence of it all. The Rose Bowl for me is like the, the top dog of all bowl games. So that's not that's not an argument to have today. But then it's all like throughout all that game, you had Herb Street and Fowler hyping up Bills, Bills, Bengals, Bills, Bengals, all like all day long. ESPN it was all over. It was this, I think, first time in like 25 years that either team had had 11 plus wins facing each other in a Monday night football game, which was cool. And then the incident goes down, and it's just 360 on ahead. So it's great to see what the NFL is doing, and it's great to see everything that's gone on with, like, obviously, look, we have to honor and hope the market's better, but the fact that the NFL has come together as a community, and the fact that even, too, you've seen, like, up, up here where I am, CFL, they've sent their stuff. And the fact, too, that all 32 teams have done that, and you'll notice here, too, usually I have the great artwork that Mike Pico has done for me, it's here on the video today, but on the covers for the artwork for the podcast and for the YouTube, I am going to put the pray for Demarlin, pray Demarlin, excuse me, the pray for Demar image instead of my logo. Why? Because sometimes my logo just doesn't 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 mean enough. I feel like it's just the least I can do. You know, that's I'm just going to say that for there. But then the only thing we're going to say too is is that. I think the NFL understands, look, we have a season to play. I think if this happens, like everyone says this too, where if you look at the 9-11 incident, when that happened, that was right at the beginning of the season, so they could push it back. I think at the end of the day, Cincinnati and Buffalo will push back. And I'll also say this too. If you lose your fantasy football league, like I'm probably going to because Josh Allen couldn't play, don't don't get mad over it. Don't, don't, don't. I'm just going to say that right now. Don't do it. It's, you know what? 
just be thankful at the end of the day that Hamlin's alive. I only said to because I'm in a position where I'm going for a championship and I need a Josh Allen left. So that's 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 all with that. Well, I will say I, will, I definitely don't get mad about it, but 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 I would mm-hmm. encourage um, commissioners out there uh, to have like um, creative solutions to that problem. So, for example, in my league, my home league, we had the 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 championship game was on Monday and the only one player only had Josh Allen left. There was no other player for either team. And this player only needed like three more points to win. He had like a 96% chance to win according to Yahoo projections. So like for us in our league, we don't feel comfortable just giving him the loss. Like, cause he really should have won like Josh Allen, unless he got hurt was going to win that game. So we're coming up with creative solutions, like counting Josh Allen's, if the Patriots game happens, counting Josh Allen's performance in that game as a proxy for his performance in that Bengals game. Because the only way he would have lost is if Josh Allen got hurt. So in if he gets hurt in the Patriots game, then fine, that counts. Because that was your chance to see if he gets hurt. But if he doesn't get hurt, we're going to proxy his points for that. I agree. If there's no flexibility in your league whatsoever, there's more important things in life, don't complain. But I'm also saying, if anyone here out there is a commissioner like myself, try to come up with some creative solutions if you want to kind of remedy the problem. Yeah, but that, that, that's a very good way to put it. Because I know if you, I know Sleeper, they're a new fantasy football yeah, platform. Um, they basically have stopped. They're just saying it's it's done. They're not continuing anymore. I think Yahoo, Yahoo, basically the way they've said it is, they're waiting until the NFL says something. They're going off the NFL's beat, which I like. ESPN and NFL, obviously NFL.com's probably will go off the NFL. I haven't heard much about what ESPN's is doing, but I know for a fact that Yahoo, it's up to the, it's either up to the commissioner. Or Yahoo's going to wait and see what happens with that Bills Bengals game because ultimately, though, I can't see a world where we replay that game. I just I can't see it. I, I think, and I, I also think there's like this conspiracy theory out there that the NFL is going to wait to see if the Chiefs lose to the Raiders and then make a decision. I definitely don't agree with that. I think they have to make this decision like pretty soon, like yeah. if not tomorrow, like the next day, because like, and if, especially if you're going to change the playoff schedule. Which, like, I know, I think it was Mike Florio that said if yes. they replay the game, they would have that game and the NFC wildcard playoffs give all the NFC, give all the AFC teams a bye. And then the next week, you have the AFC wildcard playoffs and all the NFC teams get a bye. And one, one problem with that is that, like, let's say the Eagles get the one seed, the Eagles would have two weeks off. I don't know if they would be happy or unhappy with that because they wouldn't play in the wildcard round because they don't have to. And then they would get a buy the next week as well. So they would get a double buy. I don't know whether that's a super advantage or a super disadvantage, but that's something to think about. And then secondly, um, Bills, Bengals, but if there's something like coaches to be aware ahead of time, coaches don't just start preparing for future games like that Monday morning. Like I remember famously Andy Reid in 2017 when the Chiefs had already won the division and they were seed locked as the four seed going into the 2017 playoffs and they were going to play. They, they didn't know who their opponent was going to be, but they were seed lock as the four seed and week 17 at the time when there was only 17, yeah. weeks, not 18. Yeah. The last game of that season, they wanted to start Patrick Mahomes and, but they knew like, okay, we're going to start Mahomes, but like Mahomes needs help here. It's his first NFL start. So Andy Reed kind of divided the staff. Like he and the quarterbacks coach would prepare with Mahomes to make sure Mahomes would be prepared for his one start. But the offensive coordinator, who at the time I think was Matt Nagy, yes. and the defensive coordinator, they would focus more on the game plan for their possible wild card opponents. 
So they were preparing for two games at the same time. And I know Belichick has talked about in years past, like when you have a Thursday night football opponent, sometimes the week before you'll put certain coaches on your staff to look towards that game. So you can't tell the Bills and the Bengals Sunday night, hey, by the way, you guys are playing Saturday. And then also tell like half the NFL playoffs, actually you have a bye week this week. I think teams need time, especially if the con- especially if the change in schedule is going to be that dramatic. These teams need time to adjust to that. So the NFL, I think by tomorrow, maybe Friday. But I really do think by tomorrow, the NFL has to decide, are we playing this game or not? Yes or no? I don't think you can wait till after the weekend's over. Yeah, because the only other option realistically would be just to move everything back and there's no bye week between the basically no. the same day as the – you have the Pro Bowl games, and then the same day you literally would have to have the NFC and the AFC Championship game because that's what happened with the 2001 season with 9-11. There was no bye week between Championship Sunday and the Super Bowl. So I do agree with you. I think we need an answer now because it can't just be – and let's let's be honest. I don't think Kansas City is going to lose Sunday. I just don't. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Jared Stidham thing was just like a – like when you're cute one-week experiments for the NFL. But – I think, you know what, you're right. You have to have a decision made. You can't just be sitting on it, and then all of a sudden you're right. You're like, hey, guys, yeah, you have to go play this game here. And then it's like, wait, what? No, because I think just with the amount of stuff that the Bills are under, and even the Bengals too, like I feel like this Sunday too, especially because it's, like we said, there's been two bad incidents to happen on that field this year. There's Damar Hamlin cardiac arrest, and you obviously had the very scary Tua injury back in week four. So I feel like for the Bengals game Sunday, it's going to be a very weird experience because that was a game too when the week 18 schedule came out. There was a bunch of games that were 1 o'clock, 425, and then obviously there's a Sunday Night Lions-Packers game. That game was always 1 o'clock or 425 because when that game was going to start, depending on how the Bills-Bengals game went. But then today the NFL announced, hey, this game's going to be played at 1 o'clock. So we'll have to see what happens here. And then the other thing, too, as well, I feel like the networks, because a lot of the time, too, with a lot of these games, the reasons why they don't cancel them is because of the – like the networks and the money that's involved. But I feel like at the same time too, if they decide to pull the plug on this game, CBS would, I I don't know if CBS would exactly be thrilled with it, but at the same time too, they'd have to understand because I don't know if you've seen the announced teams for this weekend, but it's supposed to be Nancy Romo calling the Bills Patriots game on Sunday. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. And then I even know if refing assignments will usually come out by now. I haven't seen anything about who the referee is going to be for Sunday yet. So that might not be another key factor because they have to wait and all these like travel and logistics plans even why, like, say, for example, six weeks ago when the Bills game was moved from Buffalo to Detroit, they pulled it, like, I think it was the Thursday or Friday. It was, yeah, it was the Thursday. So I I do agree with you. I think, if anything, we'll hear an answer tomorrow, hopefully, on the situation with the Bills-Bengals game. Yeah, because, uh, but yeah, Bills-Detroit was, like, I think you said it was Thursday that they announced it, right? I think it was the or- Thursday because they had the base, because then for every, and then everyone's like, oh, why did they not wait it out? It'd be fine. Here's the thing. You have to get fans to the stadium, but not only do you have to get fans to the stadium, you have to get both teams with buses. You have to get a plane in for the other team. You have to get the broadcast trucks. There's medical. so many logisticals, equipment, yeah. medical personnel. You have to get stadium support staff. You have to get concessions, parking, ushers, security, NFL personnel, NFL referees. So you have to think of all these contingency plans well in advance. And I'm pretty sure right now the, the folks at part, uh, 345 Park Avenue are thinking of something, and I feel like we're going to hear about it very, very soon. I, I do agree with you. So I think, you know what, they're going to come out. I think they just come out and say, you know what, this game doesn't count. I don't think at this point, too, either Bills fans, if they get the buy, great. If not, I don't think – I think it's the last thing on their minds right now. Like, it would be nice, yes, but if they're playing wild card weekend, I think they don't care. I think right now their focus is just on DeMar Hamlin. Well, and I think the 
I think it was Ben Albright that said if the game is canceled, the NFL kind of wants to like do a number generator or something like that to determine the top three seeds. And it is like tricky um, because if the I get, I'm with you. I don't think the chiefs are going to lose, but if the chiefs lose then, and the bills win, if they play, the bills would have jumped the chiefs anyways. Like even if, even if they had lost to the Bengals on Monday night football, if the chiefs lose to the Raiders and they beat the Patriots, they jumped the chiefs in seeding. If the Bengals beat the Ravens, the Bengals would have won the division anyways. Cause that is also, I do think, a fair – like, I'm not saying replay the game because of this. I'm just saying, like, come up with a different solution that the Ravens, even though they, it seems like Lamar's not going to play, it's going to be Tyler Huntley. So they're probably going to lose anyways. But if the Ravens beat the Bengals this week, the Ravens have a legitimate gripe that, hey, we could have won this division if the Bills beat the Bengals on Monday Night Football. Because that if the, if the Bills had won that game, then this week's game would have been for the division. So I think – I, I think if the game gets canceled, we'll probably see the NFL like do something wacky to try to come up with a way to decide the one seed and decide the division. I don't – I mean, I think a random number generator, pure chance, is probably not the right move, but I think they'll come up with some criteria. That, that I, I, I know people are just going to say they're going to do straight winning percentage. I don't know about that. I think, I think it might be more complicated than that. Um, the other way I was going to look at it as well is you can do winning percentage, but then Kansas City would win that. Because they, like Kansas City right now is an eight thirteen, Bills have an eight hundred, and then the Bengals have a seven thirty three. So I think more than any, yeah, yeah. But basically, I do think the Bills do have the most to lose into this, just because they have the tiebreaker over Kansas City. Cincinnati does too, but when it comes down to it, it's kind of it's kind of weird that the Chiefs yeah. will get the one seed when the other two teams both beat them. Yeah, but but like I was saying before, I at this point. Would Bills fans like the one seed? I, I can't speak on it. I think so, yes. But at the same time, too, I think right now they're the, like the last thing they're thinking about is football. Like I mean, usually by now I see a bunch of Patriots smack talk and stuff like that. I haven't seen any of that from Bills. There's so many like there's a, there's a lot of Bills podcasters who I've seen who are, are not recording or who are recording. I know Greg is recording tonight. Yeah. Um, I know I mentioned I mentioned him before potentially, so there may be another episode, folks. But I'm gonna go off what he says. So if anything, I'm just gonna let you guys know about this right now. There may be a second episode this week. I'm not gonna make any promises. It's gonna be what he wants to do, not what I want to do. Usually, it's what the host wants to do. That's why this episode is recording a little bit later. But with this case, I'm gonna go off. You go off how your guest is feeling. You go off the person who is close to the trauma. I also felt bad too when he even tweeted out something simple as "I need a hug right now." Just when you see. Fans like that. So that shows how deeply rooted that fan base is committed to their team. Yeah. And the, the you know, like it's, you're kind of, the problem is they're kind of thinking about like 10 things at once, right? Like they're thinking about Hamlin. They have to think about the game this weekend. And they have to, they don't know. Imagine trying to prepare for this game this weekend, not knowing if the Bills Bengals game is going to get replayed. Like you don't, you don't know what the stakes are. Like you don't know what the implications of the result of the game are. Cause you don't know if that other game is going to be replayed because they're not giving you any information. So your head's kind of in a, in a whirlwind as a result, like not really knowing what to do. It's a bit of a pretzel right now. I think that'd be the right metaphor to use pretzel. for that. Yeah. Yeah. I do agree though. The more I think about it now, I, like I, like I was saying earlier, I think that with the game, looks like the Patriots are practicing, like it's normal, but media only had access to watch the practice. It couldn't interview any players. I don't know how it's been at other facilities. I know head coaches have spoken to the media. Like I saw, obviously Mike Tomlin spoke to the media. I know some other people spoke to the media, 
for coaches around the league. I haven't seen too too many that I know I saw the Kayvon Thibodeau thing, but I don't want to I don't want to go into that because that's Mike McDaniel spoke. Okay, Mike McDaniel spoke. Um but when it comes to this team, I think, like I said, if the Bills aren't practicing by tomorrow, I just don't see a world where this game gets played because I think at the end of the day, they may make the call to the league where it's like, look, we're not ready to play. Or Sunday, you know what you see? Look, like I said, I would love to see the Patriots win and get in the playoffs, but if it goes the other way, it is what it is. I'm not going to get mad Sunday. That's the one thing. I'll get. I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'd get mad if I'll get mad at like my team's stupid play calling. But if the Patriots do lose the game and miss out on the playoffs, you have to look at the beauty of what potentially could be a very, very emotional. Because that's the thing, Sunday, if they play that game, Highmark Stadium is going to be a very, very emotional place. That and, it's going to be something. And yeah, the closest, like it's hard. If let's say the game is played, it's hard to know like what weighs more. You know, the rallying effect, win one for Demar, they're at home versus the obvious trauma and distraction of going through it throughout the week. Like every betting podcast I listen to, they all say the same thing. We have no way of knowing. Like we have no way of knowing. It's almost like the actual X's and O's don't matter for that game. Like I said earlier, like you, you have no way of knowing what effect is going to predominate. But Closest comparison, I guess, that I can think of, and it's not one-to-one, I understand. Last year, Demarius Thomas passes away, and little different because he wasn't a current teammate for a lot of that roster, but he was a Broncos legend. There were some players on that team, like Justin Simmons, like Brandon McManus, that were actual teammates with him. Shelby Harris, I think, too. And the Broncos had like a very emotional, resilient performance at home they were playing the Lions, that's the thing. They weren't playing like a good team, but they had a resilient like 31 to 10 win. You know, very much a win one for Demarius kind of sentiment. Um, this one is obviously more complicated because like they don't I don't think they know DeMar Hamlin's status yet, but you could totally see, totally see like like a loud stadium, a raucous crowd, everyone's fist bumping after every play, like everyone's like really emotional after every touchdown. You could totally see that. You can also just see them kind of be sluggish like be slow, like the game is kind of ugly, you know, and they just don't really, they don't really look like themselves, you know, like you could totally see that too. So I will say this though, if the Bills start practicing tomorrow and the game is played, let's say tomorrow is business as usual, right? Bills practice and they confirm the game is playing. I think that tells you that there's good news on DeMar Hamlin's status because everyone listening should remember the Bills always find this information first before it will leak to the general public. Like it was Jordan... I forget his name, Jordan Ronar, the marketing rep for DeMar Hamlin. Yes. Been dealing with the media. Like he gave the report today to Cameron Wolf today, like this morning in an interview, he said, oh, the vitals were good. Doctors saw encouraging signs. They saw what they needed to see. The Bills apparently got an optimistic report Tuesday morning about DeMar Hamlin. That's what Mike Garofolo reported. That Tuesday morning, they were given a report that was, quote, guardedly optimistic. And so obviously, like, like the Bills – people can actually get into the ICU room. They can actually directly call people in the ICU room. So like the bills will always find this information first before the rest of us do. So if they're practicing tomorrow, if it's confirmed the game is going on and Sean McDermott's doing media and Josh Allen's doing media and they're like back to business as usual, I think that tells you that, okay, things are looking good. It really does seem like he's going to recover from this. And I think the better news they get throughout the week, the more, willing they are to play i think it's hard now because you don't know what the end result is but i think if the good news starts pouring in i think all of a sudden their like propensity to play like will increase as the week goes on i i, comp- I completely agree with you on that i completely agree with you on that like for both just like you know the bills ability to play the fact that like you're right 
excuse me, that they're that the Bills know all this information first because you guarantee that the doctors from there are calling, whether it be probably Brandon Bean or Sean McDermott or the Pagulas or a combination of the three. Meanwhile, with the rest of everything, like when it like when people are out there looking for information or trying to play doctor on Twitter, like don't go against that. I basically I'm waiting on the reports you see from the team, the reports you see from the league. That's the stuff you go on. I know. And even too, you've seen, I know Jeremy Fowler came out and said this, that insiders sometimes they really dig aggressively to get a story. This time they're not doing that. They're letting the information come to them as it's released. Then like you don't see anyone doing any like scumbag level reporting. And obviously there's been some people in the media that have had certain opinions. There are two reporters. I'm not going to say their names because guess what? When you give those people, like even if it's bad and if it's bad publicity, you're still giving them publicity. So I'm not going to recognize either person's names on here. I'm not even going to say any initials. Um, for as much as the Demarius Thomas thing in there, and also I'm going to turn this into a funny thing, I know I'm a degenerate gambler because I remember as soon as you said that game, I had Denver minus 10.5 on the spread that day. So thank you for reminding me of my degeneracy. But when it comes to this, this more reminds me of well as when Kobe died. I know those are two yeah. totally different things, but – Look, it's just it's the same thing happened. Like, you know, everyone came together. That was that was an incident when that happened. That's right when the podcast started. And that's like the last time like I truly, truly got emotional. Because I always say that that's the one regret I had as a sports fan was never being able to see Mamba play live. And so when the Lakers had their first game back, I don't remember how they did. But I just remember it being a very emotional place. So that's why when I was saying that Sunday at Highmark, if they play, it's going to be highly emotional. I also don't think, too, I don't know if you're going to see, you know, I think you will probably see, like, you know, the Bills fans being normal, like the jumping on the tables, the partying, the craziness. Yeah. I can see some still doing it, but I can't, I can see it being a very different mood oh, even damn. at, yeah, it's a very toned down kind of mood on, on the game Sunday. And even the other one, I think a good indicator, too, is, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but, or I know you're not too, too much of a hockey guy in this recording, obviously, got delayed because of hockey. But last night, the Buffalo Sabres play, and they all wore Pray for Three shirts on. Yep. And I retweeted this, but basically, January 3rd, this is what happened. Tage Thompson got three goals. That was his third hat-trick of the year. He also scored his 30th game of the season, and the winner, winning goal was scored three minutes into overtime. So there's wow. just certain things like that that just, the like the line, like the silver lines appear. You know, where it's like when you see stuff like that, it's just like I know people are all like religious, all of like the, how they view religion, but that just proves that God works in mysterious ways. And I saw that uh, Kraft in his donation, yeah, he donated $18,003, 18 being like very important in the Jewish tradition as a sign. It means life. life in Yiddish. Yiddish means life in Yiddish. And then the three, obviously, for Hamlin's number. Um, and yeah, you could definitely see, I don't know, like if it wouldn't surprise anyone if the Bills win 33 to three on Sunday, like, hey, you know, you could totally, to totally, totally see that exact uh, scenario. Uh, life works in mysterious ways that way. Um, so yeah, no, no, no. I just hope, I, I guess we'll just wait, wait to find out tomorrow. On the medical side, I, I do want to say on the medical side, like, it seems like the common opinion from most people is that it's probably a case of uh Comorcho cordis, which is this very rare condition where you get hit in your chest and you get hit in your heart. 
You have to be hit at the exact right spot in the heart at the exact right time in the cardiac cycle. So your atria squeezes blood into your ventricles, and then your ventricles squeeze blood through your aorta to the rest of your body. And there's like a specific electric rhythm to that. Like your heart has a specific electric beat every time it pumps blood. It's not just random. There's a specific synchronicity with which cells are depolarized and which electric currents run through the heart. It's very synchronized that way. And that's how you get your heartbeat. And your heartbeat runs on on the exchange of ions, which is how you get electric currents. And so when you hit someone at the exact right point in that cardiac cycle, you could stop their heart. But it's incredibly rare for people to know how rare this is. There's 30 cases a year. Like that's how rare we're talking here. And it seems like that is the current leader in the clubhouse for the theory that he got hit right in his heart as he was making the, the spin tackle on T Higgins. And when your heart stops, like that's why you don't faint right away. That's why like it makes sense that he would stand up and then all of a sudden lose consciousness because he stands up because he's fine. He doesn't collapse when his heart faints. He collapses when his heart stops and then blood doesn't get to his brain. And that's when he faints like that. That's what that, that delay is why you see him stand up and then fall back down. And so the only optimistic say thing I'll say about this, I don't want to overpromise before I say the optimistic thing. You never know in medicine. And I, I am not a doctor yet. I'm still in training. But one thing I have learned so far in med school is that it, one of the hardest things to do is that very often you see a patient and it's like, we're 90% sure this person is going to be fine. But there's always that 10% chance that something really bad happens. And so you never want to overpromise. You never want to say you're good. And then the person dies a few days later. So like, this isn't like betting. This isn't like football where a 10% outcome you can like weigh against, you know, if someone dies because of that 10%, that's terrible. So you don't want to overpromise. And I think with this DeMar Hamlin thing, I think he is going to recover. And I think it is going to be okay with the caveat that he very well could regress tomorrow. It could turn for the worst. He's not out of the woods yet, as his family has said. But I think that's why the reports you get through the media are so muted. They're like, it's looking good, but they don't, no one wants to promise anything. No one wants to tell you for sure he's going to recover, even though it's looking really good, because there's just always a chance that the recovery process doesn't go according to point. So I, I, my limited experience tells me this is going in the right direction. I think he's going to heal, but there's always a chance. And because of that, there's always a chance. That's why the hospital repeatedly doesn't give an update. Like repeatedly, Coley Harvey and Cameron Wolf, who, by the way, have done a great job for ESPN and the NFL Network, respectively. Both those guys are on site at the Cincinnati Hospital. Cameron Wolf, who normally covers the Dolphins, has been doing a lot of work for NFL Network on this story. Uh, they Both of them have repeatedly reached out to the hospital for, for a statement, and the hospital keeps saying, we don't want to release a statement. And the reason why is they don't want to tell you things are improving, things are looking good, and then the guy has a regression two days later. So, like – the lack of updates doesn't mean that nothing positive is happening is what I'm trying to say. It's the whole cliche saying of no news is good news sometimes. Yeah. Some, yeah. Sometimes more is less or less is more. Excuse me. And one of the ICU doctors like on the media did say that like they put it. Yes, they did put a breathing tube down him and he is in critical condition. But like it is very possible. It's very possible the tube comes out tomorrow. Like the tube is like it seems that we've established his heart beat is back and blood is pumping through his body. They're just trying to get him to restore his lung function on his own. And everyone saw that report that they went from 100% oxygen to 50% oxygen. That's a good thing. That means his lungs were gaining function and didn't need 100% oxygen to survive anymore. And I think what, what the ICU people were saying is they could take the tube out like now if they wanted to. 
They just want to be a hundred percent sure that when they take it out, that he's going to be perfectly fine. They don't want there to be any chance that they take it out and have to put it back in. So that's why I think they're being like extra cautious, like, like kind of like Lamar not wanting to play for the Ravens until the knee is a hundred, the knee is a hundred percent healed. I know it's not to be insensitive. I know it's a very different example, but similar kind of concept here. They want to be a hundred percent certain before they take it out. I think right now they're like 93% sure they can take it out, but I think they're waiting for that extra 7%. So yeah, no news is good news. Yeah. Yeah. And, but also too, when it comes to this, like I, like it was actually my fiance today. She saw something. I think it was on it was on TikTok of all places. But someone was basically saying, with incidents like this, usually by hour seventy two, you really know where the person's going to be. That's so. That's why I think you. I think so. Tomorrow, I think we're going to get true indicators about a lot of things about his health, about what happens with Bills Bengals, what happens with Bills Patriots. So it's just one of those things where, look, give it some more time, let everything figure itself out. But I think for the most part. We're going to know sooner than later, like I said, about everything. I think it's just, you know what? Wait for the reports. Wait for the news to get to you. And just know that at the end of the day, all we can do is hope and pray. So that's all we're going to do is just send our thoughts and prayers to Damar Hamlin. We're looking out for you. We're hoping for nothing but the best. And like I said, if he ever plays football again, is another story all on its own. We just want to see the person. We just want to see the person be better. And, and whether, wake and wake up and wake up to the great news of his GoFundMe. I can't wait for that moment when someone shows him, like, "Hey, by the way, your GoFundMe has raised almost seven seven million dollars." And someone someone on Twitter has been sharing the story that there was like a sophomore at Iona who had this same injury with baseball, like a very similar incident. I think a baseball hit them right in their heart. Their heart stopped. They had to get CPR on the field, etc. And that person is now making a full recovery, like three months later. Again, you never want to overpromise, yeah. but you could take that as a good sign. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? I think that's going to do it for you and I. I think that's going to – we can talk about games all we want, but I think what we did here was a service to the people, a service to our listening public. I know I'm the host, but you're the person that comes on here the most, so that's why I have to say it's – for as much as it's mine, I also like to share it with you. And one of the side note I want to make as well is that 100th episode – I wanted to give back to everyone because for as much as I talk on here, it's great to see – and hear why other people love this game so much. And that's an episode I recommend everyone go back and listen to it. I just called it, why do you love football? And I got a bunch of people and they all gave their cases on why they love the game. So that's that. And it also goes to show right back here. It all ties in together. But anyway, folks, happy new year. It's been a blast. This is season four. This has been episode number 203 of YWC football talk. Thank you very much for listening. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the say the damn score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, undercurrent podcast at NBC Sports. 
Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice in the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. 